Welcome to episode 71 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me on location at New York Comic Con is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar is back. What's up, everybody? <laughs> and with us, the final member of our Comic Book Nation Trinity, Mr. Brandon Davis is here. Well, if we're laughing, it's because we're all pretty worn out. We're doing this in the hotel room. Yeah, I mean, our setup right now, just so you're aware, if you're not seeing this for once is and just hearing us, is we are in a nice New York hotel room with a beautiful view Great of the view. skyline. Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, and we're just seated around a table full of Funko Pops, microphones, <laughs> uh, loose cookies, and, and, or, yeah, and or wires. 600 feet of wire. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of wires, because we just wanted to bring you guys an episode of the podcast on schedule from New York Comic Con, even though the three of us are out here scrambling, and like Brandon said, we've been all over the place. It's just, been a day. Yeah, it's been a day. Uh, full of uh, crazy, crazy uh, interviews and stalkers and New York traffic <laughs> and, and all of this stuff. Like, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a day. So we just thought we'd share with you guys and kind of uh, knock, knock out a quick podcast. But it's got to be quick today because we're not done the day yet. Matt has to run and do some other stuff. And uh, yeah, it's still a day. So today we're going to be talking about uh, New York Comic Con. We're going to give you guys our day one recap and what we are going to be doing for the uh, rest of the time here. Before that, we are going to get into some news items. And today we are going to start with The Walking Dead. Uh, the Walking Dead comes back this week for season 10. Se uh, Fear the Walking Dead season 5 ended on a ugh, really bad note. You mercifully put that thing to sleep for, yeah. for at least six months. So you might be wondering why we're not reviewing The Walking Dead uh, here. It's because we have an excellent show that already does that. After the Dead, which is now also in podcast form, is coming back this week for the return of Walking uh, for the return of The Walking Dead. Brandon Davis and Janelle Wheeler are back. And to you're there. Kinda, yeah, and I was going to get to there. that. That's a big reveal, and uh, I'll be joining you guys for the uh, premiere this week. So we have a whole show dedicated to The Walking Dead's return. Be sure to check out After the Dead. Please. But what we have gotten in the lead-up to that premiere is a first look at the new Walking Dead series that is coming next year. Um, we've talked about it on the show before. There's a new Walking Dead series. It's going to be set... Um, the characters are basically kids who have grown up in the zombie apocalypse didn't really know the old world before, so this is the only world they knew, and now this show kind of starts from that premise, which we said was interesting because I think, I know Brandon wasn't there when you and I, Matt, talked about it, but we were saying, you know, we were kind of just reflecting, and I think whoever was our, my guest host at the time was also reflecting that The Walking Dead's often at its best when it tells stories with kids that are really disturbing and twisted, um, and so we were kind of Think about it, and some of the early concept art looked interesting, like weird mm -hmm. stacks of zombie, like mm -hmm. like weird statues. I don't even know what to yeah. call it, but like a sculpture of zombies and things like that. And it looked like a very different world. And so we got these first look photos of the new characters in this Walking Dead show, and it's kids. I mean, it's Walking Dead kids. Spoiler! <laughs> yeah, it's Walking Dead, the CW version, but um, yeah, like teenage drama. And uh, there's a first look uh, kind of featurette that shows off the characters with like drawings as if they're comics to come to life, which is weird because this isn't a comic, um, but I guess they want to keep that connection. And uh, yeah, so these kids are kind of a diverse group. Some of them look kind of creepy. Some of them look like they'll be heroes. Um, but it just sees, shows them kind of like, it really looks like Walking Dead, the CW series, like, a, like just a group of teens hanging out. The only thing is different is that this is, of course, the zombie apocalypse, but... The thing that's kind of interesting about this is we get a look at the world and this looks like a world where the zombie apocalypse has been happening for quite some time and 
it raises big questions about the exact timeline of the show. And I know, Brandon, you have some pretty strong thoughts. <laughs> I mean, after these photos, I mean, we're, we're going to hear a lot more about the show. They're going to reveal a title. They're going to reveal a trailer over the weekend on Saturday. Uh, so by the next time we're doing this podcast, we will have a lot more information about this show. First impressions, this is a tool for the Rick movies, which is going to brutally make this show suffer. Because Fear of the Walking Dead became a tool for the show. And it ended up being the best episode of Fear of the Walking Dead last season was the one with that helicopter. Yeah. But it just became a catalyst for other Walking Dead content when it lost its way. When Fear the Walking Dead on its own was great in season three, and when Morgan joined, it started going downhill when Dwight joined. And it's not Morgan and Dwight's fault, but the show got worse than it ever was. Uh, based on the fact that this looks like it is so far in the future, I really, and Scott Gimple told us uh, at the premiere for season 10 that uh, it's going to be tie into those Rick Grimes movies and you'll see things and stuff. It just feels right now that it's set in a time and a place where. We're going to just use this as a big means to hype up the Rick Grimes movies. And if that's the case, it's going to suck because the show's going to, if the show struggles to stand on its own, it's going to be tough to have it be good. But then again, maybe it won't. Um, I, I, it's just photos, so it's tough to tell if this is going to be good. I know nobody's asking for a third Walking Dead show. I'm the Walking Dead like champion, I feel like. I've always stood behind these shows, and I'm not even like, we need a third show. Um, am I going to watch it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure the hardcore fans are going to watch this. They're going to judge for themselves, and I want everybody to do that. And I'm going to, based on the photos, I'm worried, but I'm not making a decision. I sound really negative on it. As I mean, first impression, I'm not excited. Like, I'm not. Yeah. But I need to see more before I can come to a... My only thing is, and I wanted to pitch this to you, is now that we've seen the end of the comic, and the comic jumps into the future, right. and it really establishes that zombies are just kind of now a backdrop. They mm -hmm. wander out. They're not... I mean, the world is still With the world pets, that it yeah. is. But they've, remade, they've made functioning society again. Yeah. Things are kind of chilled out. Do you think this show could possibly add intrigue and excitement if we find out that it's kind of advancing the ending of the comic and kind of, therefore, could bring back certain people? Um, no, because the show has already lost so many characters I would care about in that setting. You had your chance to do tell a story about a kid who grew up in the apocalypse and you killed him off in season eight when you killed Carl. And that was a, just a bad choice. And we are never going to be able to undo that. So the, I, I, the reason I, I say no also is because I'm not invested in the world of The Walking Dead. I'm not interested in where Rick went for any other reason than wanting to know what happened to Rick. I'm invested in the characters. You have to give me a reason to give a shit about the new characters. Okay. And that's that's the only way to get me to watch. I don't care about the world of zombies anymore. Like, I'm not hoping we find this cure. If we do, cool. If it makes for a good storyline with the characters, you need to put the characters first. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the, and the comic ultimately never cared about the cure. No, so, it, like, and it was, it, it was yeah. about the characters. And yeah. by the end of it, we got, when Rick died, it was like, time to go. Call it a day. Kirkman was like, done. Carl's in the last issue. Maggie's in the last issue. Negan's in the last issue. Michonne's in the last issue. How many? Ha, ha, only half of them are still available. Yeah, yeah. So it's t you get, like if you're, 
I don't want to get invested in anybody else at this point. It's tough. You got to convince me. We say all that to say you should check out The Walking Dead season <laughs> ten premiere. <laughs> the season ten premiere of The Walking Dead is fantastic. Yeah, that's what I'm it's saying. I'm just gonna plug episode. the the, yeah. the lighter side of this whole thing. Yeah. Walking Dead season ten seems to be pretty on point. So See, The Walking Dead is back that. on track yeah. because it's putting characters first. So we're the good with that. That are left. The, the interesting characters that yeah. are left. They're getting time. Check this new these new photos out and our character kind of examinations on our uh, comic book The Walking Dead page. They're there for you. We are going to move on and uh, do something we kind of rarely do, which is just kind of shift the order around here. And uh, we're going to break down House of X number six really quick, me and Matt, because the finale to that X-Men event, at least one part of the finale, is now out. We've completed one half of this, you know, series completely. Uh, we have one more book, Powers of X, or Powers, I've been doing that so much Powers lately. Of 10, yeah. Powers of 10, 6 coming too. up. But um, just to wrap up our discussion, because we've really tracked every issue of this, Powers of X, or House of X number six, basically, we've gotten all the major reveals about, you know, the X-Men and the resurrection process and what their mission was and establishing this mutination of Krakoa. So this, uh, this is what's the most Game of thrones in episode in the sense of after big action like Game of Thrones, everybody has to sit down and talk about what everything. And so this was that Game of Thrones episode um, where Charles, and, Charles Xavier and Magneto reveal their Council of Krakoa, which is going to be the mutant government of their mutant nation. And the issue basically delves into the specifics of how this is going to function, which was our big question when, you know, Xavier and Magneto brought all the mutants to one place, all the evil ones from Apocalypse and Sinister to all the good ones, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and how are all these people going to function together? So this issue kind of breaks that down. And what we see is, like, literally Hickman just puts the characters through the process of figuring out this stuff on the fly. They sit down... It starts to debate, and we begin to see why this Council of Krakoa is what it is. Um, it's more than just, like, character selection. So, like, Apocalypse, Magneto, and Xavier are the heads of that because they've been, like, the heads of Mutant. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, then you have some shady corner with, like, Sinister, <laughs> Exodus, and Mystique, all these shady people. Great who, exchange. Yeah, who can who flit over the line of, like, allegiances and all that in their winter. And then, like, you have Jean Grey, Storm, and Nightcrawler, which was, like, curious to me like when I saw it until I began to see like why um, they're like the lighter like kind of more hopeful side of mutantum they're the kind of real like faithful especially Nightcrawler brings the religious element yeah. into it which was kind of interesting to see another because, great moment yeah. yeah because Xavier factors all these things in it's a very calculated council of who these people are and then you have the Hellfire uh, Sebastian Shaw and Emma Frost and they are like the business magnates that are going to economically kind of help this mutant thing become a fruit like to fruition. So you have like elements of religion, economy, politics, kind of society and civilization, religion and like questions all mixed into this. Um, and it is a good little scene. I mean, he does a Game of Thrones pretty well. Like all the conversations are good. And they come up with three mutant laws, which is make more mutants because they gotta keep I mean the whole point is to keep this race from ever again looking at extinction. Yeah. So that's Make More Mutants, that's like through the resurrection process, and who knows what else that could mean in the future, we'll see. I'm sure Sinister has his own ideas. Um, murder No Man, which is an interesting conversation because even though humans have killed them, they decide like it's time for them to take their place as the dominant species, yeah. which means they look at humans almost like ants, and we shouldn't be lowering ourselves by killing ants, and so we're not going to harm any humans. Um, it's beneath us, basically. So like Murder No Man is a law. And uh, what's the last one? It's like uphold this nation or something like that, or respect this nation. I forget what the I third have it one is. in a picture somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's basically like respect Krakoa, respect this sacred land is what they say. 
Make more mutants, murder no man, respect the sacred land. Because as Cypher points out in like a little environmental plug, um, great, like Krakoa yeah. is alive, so Krakoa should therefore have rights, and we yeah. can't talk about it like it's property. Yeah, exactly. Um, Can I just throw like a question out? Yeah. And this might be a stupid question, but how is this all going to factor into the non-X-Men Marvel books? Oh, I have a good feature coming up about that. That's a good plug. I'm going to write a feature about how this has kind of shifted Mutant's place. Um, and they've already kind of they kind of touched on it. that. Yeah. It's going to impact other. Books. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. So they I'm, they set it up right from the beginning with the Fantastic Four and Cyclops' mm -hmm. conver uh, confrontation over Sabretooth. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and so Sabretooth is still a prisoner. Uh, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll to get to that. We'll yeah. get to that okay. because yeah, we'll actually jump into that. Issue. So yeah, it is going to affect so many other things, right, and right. the new books are going to actually because there's a whole geograph. I mean, there's a whole geopolitical thing that's yeah, going on. Yeah. Some nations that respect the mutant nation, some don't. So there's a whole thing where they're going to have to address that, and that's going to be one book. Like Marauders is yeah. going to deal with that. It's literally the Hellfire Club Can't people on a, on a pirate oh ship God. going around to the nations that don't accept this and trying to help mutants. Yeah. So there's going to be all that. Um, but then, yeah, the, this whole, the law, because they have Krakoa, they have laws now. Like, you know, mutants get their own nation. Hu they have amnesty from the laws of humans, which means humans cannot, like, arrest or kill mutants anymore. That's dangerous. Yeah. Which they, is why they are the ones to have to, their whole thing is they want they to, to pass judgment. Yeah, 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 they have okay. to do that. So they, they, mutants exactly. have to hold themselves accountable. Yeah. And act within reason, basically. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and even some, like, greater reason, exactly. superior okay. reason that befits them. Um, so yeah, so then the end of the issue comes to the inevitable question of what do you do if somebody doesn't respect these laws? And one of my favorite things about this series, House of X, is you've had this little bouncing ball of Sabretooth that started in the first issue and we just kept coming away and being like, where is this going? Yeah, exactly. Like, all Sabretooth's whole, like, going on a mission to get the Orcus information, he flips out, he kills a bunch of guards even though they said don't kill anybody. So he killed everybody because he's Sabretooth. He gets arrested by the Fantastic Four. Cyclops tries to say, yo, we just made laws. you got to give them to me. And Fantastic, Fantastic Four like, what are you? Yeah, no. Like, we're not respecting this. Cyclops backs down for now and says, we'll handle it another way. Yeah, because he's they always going to back down. Yeah. yeah, right. That's not going to last. No, he doesn't. He <laughs> no, sends, yeah. They send Emma Frost to court. Oh, right. She comes <laughs> through, like, Allie freaking McBeal, like, comes she, through, just tears up the court, scene, yeah. like, and says, yup, he's coming with us. Remember? Because we now have this power leverage. Like, we're a powerful nation. Like, Wakanda almost. I mean, that's what it is. Right. Mutants are now have their Wakanda, like, that changes everything. And they're no longer just some hunted, like, minority species. They, they now have an actual political, economic yeah. power hold. Right. Um, which is, goes back to a lot of social theory. Like, there's three things if you want to get empowered you have to achieve. Your political, economic, and social power. And like, you remember you why, right? Um, because of the drugs that yeah, they have? They, yeah, they sell, okay. Krakoa sells drugs right. to humans that extend their life, cures mental disease, and does some other stuff that they need. So, like, yeah, they get him out of jail. You need us. And they bring him finally to Krakoa. And so finally in this issue, Sabretooth finally arrives. And he's brought before the council because, you know, murder no man. Mm -hmm. And, like, respect the sacred land are two things Sabretooth is broken. <laughs> yeah, or, like, really incapable of. And he even says in, in Sabretooth, in a great Sabretooth scene, he's just spouting, spitting, and saying, like, I'm going to turn you all red and, like, shred you up. And, like, this is a room with, like, Apocalypse, Exodus, Mr. Magneto, Sinister, yeah. Magneto, Xavier, and he doesn't care. And it's the best is when, like, uh, Jean Grey and White Queen make him psychically... That was amazing. Like, psychically make him into a drooling animal, just like a drooling, just, like, stop talking. Mm -hmm. I just love like, that Emma does it first, yeah. and he's still annoyed, and then Jean just, like, completely shuts him down. <laughs> yeah. And he's just drooling. Who, who comments on the drool? Uh, is it Apocalypse or Magneto? 
I think it's like Magneto Apocalypse or oh, no, Sinister. Sinister is like talking yeah. trash, and he's talking to X's, and X's <laughs> is like, "Don't talk to me," um, which is just great stuff. But yeah, so this is why Sabretooth is in the story because you see what mutants decide to do with mutants who break the law. They can't kill them because they've built in these resurrection protocols. Because they, they, I mean, the number one thing is do not lose more mutants. So if anyone gets killed, they they get resurrected. So they can't kill them. They can't send them out into the world. That's through the Cerebro that is now. That's through the the egg process and the five. And then Cerebro helps. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's automatic. Like, that's just the protocol. If somebody dies now, a mutant, they bring them back. So they can't put them out in the world of man because they've just made the deal that you know, men can't affect mutant stuff, and so mutants got to handle their own. So what they do is they reveal that they have their own prison system, which is a living death. Basically, you get just, Krakoa just straps you into a bunch of roots or vines yeah. or whatever, sucks you down into the island, and holds you there and keeps you alive. Yeah, you're in suspended animation. animation so basically. You, can, you know and are aware that time is going by, and you can't move, and you can't do anything else. Nope. And so and you literally get swallowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Apocalypse is like, yeah. Yeah, he didn't care. I mean, Apocalypse's scenes are actually really funny. They did leave the, the little sliver of opening for, like, parole. Yeah. But it was very much like, when we get there, we'll yeah. decide if that's wow. a thing. Yeah. But right now, there's there's nothing. You yeah, can for the do. Re- like you're gonna be here forever. Like get comfortable, and so they suck him down into the island, and like that's a pretty dark thing. Like yeah, yeah, it's a fate worse than death. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. Um, the other big reveal is that Moira's been around this whole time, and for some reason that's not explained, she's hiding out on this no place, which is like a, a separate piece of Krakoa that is disconnected from the rest. Yeah, it's that's that her own that private, like, little layer that she's been hiding in. And she's been directing, like, Xavier and Magneto this whole time. Um, and I love that in this book, we never once see Xavier without the helmet. The most we nope. get is, like, a backward shot of his head right before oh, he puts on the helmet. Sure that is Xavier Still, no, we're yeah. not sure about anything. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a great thing yeah. about this series. Yeah. But um, that's where it ends. And so next week, Powers of 10 will presumably reframe this one more time, possibly to shock us in some kind of way. And we still got a lot of things that are unanswered. But um, House of X, I, I got to say, now that we've gone all through six issues of that, yeah, instant classic for me, X-Men story, total game changer. And like, yeah, Brandon suggested, we'll be writing about how this affects the larger Marvel universe in significant ways to come. So check that out if you haven't and go now that it's complete be sure and be ready this i think around christmas time to get this full trade for both books because uh yeah it's gonna be and it's gonna read so well in trade yeah because you're not gonna have like you're gonna be able to just go back instantly and go okay i'm gonna decode everything like you can really see how that's yeah being able to hold everything in one place instead of you know having to go through several like media files and try to yeah. Open several windows and like, uh, I have like string theory on monitors going on sometimes. <laughs> it's like, I mean, Jonathan Hickman. So then, basically, me. I hilariously, go I hilariously tried to explain this. What's why I love this and what's been happening in this series to a friend, and every and like he just finally was like, "Look, can I just read this?" Because I was just like, "But then you have to realize that that's just like this ninth timeline." But then you go like, and I was just going on for like half an hour just trying to explain. Now, so. see, I don't think this. Because here's the thing, I think what comes after gets is easily made for the MCU. Uh, I don't okay. think this this was cleanup. 
Yeah. This was you can't like, and that's you don't have to do this anymore yeah. in the MCU. Hopefully, the springboard will be there where they can take the core elements of this and roll with it, but they don't have to do all the yeah. like. I don't want to see the storyline in the MCU because you don't have to do it. Like, no, I want to see X Men versus Orcus. I want to see. But I want to see the elements. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see like Sentinels I want to see Krakoa. I want to see that Krakoa stuff. And, like, yeah. 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 Um, and that what the new definition of being an X Man is, and like yeah. resurrection, like yeah, all that stuff's crazy. Point. All right, so moving right along, uh, we're talking about Joker. Joker opens, is going to be open by the time you hear this. So Crazy, Joker's right? now out. It's actually and here. And in this weird kind of will it, won't it, we've been watching this movie all day fluctuate on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and it seems to be fluctuating between certified fresh and not certified fresh, which is admittedly still just fresh. I didn't actually before now know there was a difference. I thought yeah. it was certified fresh certified or not. Certified fresh yeah, is like, fresh you're is. fresh, but it's certified. Yeah, I don't know. Fresh. Listen, do we work for Rotten Tomatoes? No. No. Can I explain that system? No. <laughs> Happy to be a part of it. Happy to be a part of it. I don't know the levels. I, that's, I'm not in there for those meetings. Um, but the whole point is that it seems to be going up and down, and this, of course, like everything with this movie has kind of sparked debate. Uh, Brandon, Janelle, Wheeler, and I just kind of broke down on the last episode, you know, the whole controversy surrounding Joker, and is this fear culture gone too far? Like, how did we feel about it? Um, what do you guys think? Do you think this is going to be more split across the board critically than we initially seen. And let's put out the caveat that I went to see Joker this week and oh, I immediately yeah, right. texted Brandon Davis right afterwards to tell him because I went to see Joker and uh, there's a guy in the Nashville market who's infamous for being oh, kind of no. annoying at screenings. And he was sitting right in front of me at oh, the screening. God. But he, there's a twist. He wasn't annoying. The person sitting next to me was very annoying kind of. And that person was... Mr. Charlie Ridgely, <laughs> who had, I wanna, can I read the text? Oh yes, can I, let's just say, Charlie Ridgely had a visceral dislike of Joker. Yeah, visceral. He, I mean, all you gotta do is look at his Twitter feed. Immediate and visceral yeah. dislike of Joker. And it lasted for the entire film. Charlie did not like Joker and made sure to let me know all throughout Joker. <laughs> and I texted him to ask him about, was he as annoying as the other person that he referenced? He said he wasn't. He was in front of us, and Charlie was way more annoying. No, Charlie does like to, to let you know his opinions. Uh, that's for sure. Charlie likes to make. And sure I'm you're not disrespecting informed. Charlie's opinions because Charlie. I mean, Charlie's a passionate film fan and he good sure member is. of the team. But like, and you go I've to never Twitter seen Charlie. And I was more taken passions. back because Charlie's like very serious about movies and about film, He's, and I've never seen him react in a midst of a movie. He's never been that guy in a screening. No, he was viscerally angry at this movie. Why? He thought a lot of it was like just dumb. He he did not like the entire concept. Yeah, he called of this it movie. silly. I think wasn't yeah. that silly? It, yeah, and it, there's yeah. a fair amount of humor in this thing, and I was trying to argue for no, it. No, but like, not silly that way. Like no. silly isn't a like it doesn't goofy, make sense. Goofy. Yeah. No, and what I mean is, and we'll talk about this because we're gonna do we're gonna give everybody the weekend to go see Joker. It's very packed. Yeah, and you stuff. two have seen. So it. we're gonna do a podcast on it next week once the weekend's over and the dust is settled, and you know hopefully everything's okay and it makes good money and everybody has a you know relative chance to see it. So. We're going to talk about this in more depth, and we'll probably maybe get Charlie in on this so we can. I was going to say so we can so we can defend his yeah, opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but no, he he just thought the whole concept of it was silly, and I get that. I can see how people say it. Uh, to me, it's a level of humor in the film where the film is full of is a joke in and of itself. Yeah. Um, it it looks like a tragedy, but it is kind of a comedy in a weird way. Uh, but we'll talk more about that. But um. 
it just is a good example of how this may go in an unexpected route. We all thought people were going to be just masterpiece theatering this, but it seems like it could get more volatile. Well, also, I think you, I think once you get to this stage of reviews with any movie, whether there's controversy about it or not, a movie of this spotlight, this, this level of attention that it's going to get no matter what you say about it, people are going to go extreme one way or the other, and I don't even know if they do it on purpose. And, I mean, maybe it even happens to me sometimes. I don't know. But I think at this point... With every bit that it's getting, and you know that if you put out a strong headline, that's an attention-getting headline, and yeah. you're taking one way or the other, especially negative on this one, you're going to get more people reading your content. And may, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. I just, I'm surprised that as it goes on, people are suddenly turning towards a negative shift about it. Because when I first saw it, there was, I think, 20 of us who saw it uh, about a month ago. Everybody in the room seemed to love it. There was a couple people who did it. We, I walked out, I talked to everybody, and I needed a minute to digest it. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about yeah. it. Because I'm pretty sure I've made my thoughts clear. I was a little uncomfortable watching it, but they, it wanted me to be, yeah. feel that way. And if you don't enjoy that, then that's fine. I don't recommend the movie for you if you don't enjoy a movie that kind of psychologically toys with you and makes you uncomfortable like that. Because it does do that. I thought Todd Phillips and the team behind this movie, Joaquin Phoenix and his performance, did what they set out to do, and I thought what they set out to do actually made for a great movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's a slow movie, it has to get going, and then when it gets going, when it arrives at that destination, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. If you don't like it, it's, it's, I'm not saying anybody's opinion is wrong, yeah. but I also do wonder when, you, when, you, when, it, when there is a, a, something to gain out of being negative or something to gain out of being positive, do people either intentionally or not intentionally do that? I mean, I'm sure they do. I'm not, like, because, yes, I would say absolutely they do. Do I think that that is what the, is driving the majority of this? I don't know. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't answer probably that. probably not. But I do think that happens from time to time. I also, it's not surprising to me, because I feel like we've seen this with other movies when, you know, I mean, Lion King is a perfect example. You, that movie received critical, like, love when that first, those first screenings started hitting. This is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Uh, this is a Disney fans, whatever. Right? You see all those things. And then when it came out and more and more screenings come out, people start to find the gaps. Which, they uh, start to find Lion the things. King, that, that's a good example to counter my argument because Lion King, they showed us at the premiere. That's the first time any of us saw it. So everybody left. We were all on a high. We watched a movie with Beyonce in the theater. Yeah. And I mean, I remember I liked that. I was like, well, it certainly wasn't as good as the original, but it looked really cool. And I tried to like convey that, but I also wanted it to be positive because of the environment. And yeah. I think it wasn't a bad movie. I, I gave it a positive review when I had time to think about it. But then as people who weren't involved in that yeah. premiere atmosphere saw it, they might have even been more level-headed and more just in their approach, they were thinking more about the quality of the film and they thought, yeah, well, it wasn't. It yeah. Was yeah, I mean, I call that the Comic-Con effect because it, it used to be something like they've, they've since wisened up about this and so they don't push it as hard but like in the early 2010s like when the Marvel Cinematic Universe especially was just forming um, Comic-Con would be a place where they would try these secret screenings and I'll never forget Scott Pilgrim is the biggest example I can ever put out about this Scott Pilgrim was the queen of Comic-Con that year like yeah. I mean bell of the ball everybody was buzzing about it I mean the reps were just high off the hype they were like yeah, yes yeah. because they had the secret screening it was a Comic-Con crowd everybody yeah. went and saw it together it was like high energy yeah, yeah. like nuts like Scott Pilgrim came out and 
bombed yeah. hard. Oof. And people who were at that Comic-Con yep. to this day cannot understand. They're just like, I don't understand. They think like some crime was committed to keep Fox Pilgrim <laughs> down. And I'm like, no, man, like yeah. that's just a Comic-Con effect. You were with a crowd of like-minded individuals. You all were there together. You feed off the energy of each other. But then the rest of the world begins to see this and, and it, it's not the same. And that's true on any screening. But it's interesting though, with Joker, it's like we just watched it in an empty theater. It wasn't even a big, I mean, we talked to Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix and it was exciting, but at the same time, we weren't at a premiere, we weren't even at a junket, we weren't doing on camera stuff, we weren't taking pictures. We just watched the movie and talked about it. And I mean, we talked about it in a very like level-headed way yeah. that was very like, we didn't even really go in any crazy direction with it because we had just seen it. And if you've seen it, you understand. Like, you yeah. need some time need to process some time that movie. To with it, yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I saw it again. I saw it again last weekend, and I liked it more the second time. So, but again, it's an opinion, so I can't, I'm not going to say somebody is right or wrong yeah. for agreeing or disagreeing with what I think. You're allowed to not like the movie. If you don't no, like the movie, but this was just it. a rare case, and, uh, and we're going to move on, but like, because when you, it's rare that we've seen something be called like film of the year and get this level of praise. I mean, praise is, early praise is always expected, but like the kind of praise, it was winning Oscar stuff, Venice yeah. Film Festival, like stuff like that, and then kind of to see this oscillation is, mm -hmm. it's going to be very interesting, and I'm looking forward to the discourse on this. All right, that'll do it for us. Matt is going to depart. He's got some stuff to do because his recap of day one of uh, NYC is I'm not done yet. So he has to go see M. Night Shyamalan's servant for Apple TV and be able to tell us what that's all about. So uh, he'll be, and I'm curious about that one. So Matt, get out of here. All right. Uh, we're going to go and me and BD will bring this thing Peace on home. Out, everybody. Deuces. You get a deuces in there. Uh, but stay tuned because when we come back, me and Brandon Davis are going to break down what we saw at NYCC Day 1 and what's coming up in the coming two days. So be sure to stick around for that. All right, we're back. Matt's gone. So we can talk about it. I'm just kidding, Matt. If you're listening to this now, we're not talking about you, buddy. But, um... So we're here at New York Comic Con 2019, day one. Uh, Brandon Davis, you've been out hustling. You've been hustling hard. Uh, I can start because mine is easy. I went and did The Grudge today. God, I'm uh, the, reboot, the reboot of The Grudge is, or it's not a reboot. The director was very clear about this. This is actually kind of an interquel. This is Jurassic World to Jurassic no, it's, Park. It, no, it's an interquel, actually, because what it is is. This is the concept that the, the grudge is like a virus. It, it, it is. It's like something ha horrible happens. It leaves a stain on a house. Somebody comes into the house. They pick up that stain. It follows them wherever they go. And then that place gets stained, whoever comes into that. And, then, okay. and that's how the grudge, the grudge has always worked. Um, stories oh. of people who keep coming into the same contact with this like, horrible spirit and like, what happens to them. So this basically is the premise is revealed by the director, um, who was very much inspired by Seven. Uh, it, so we don't, it's going to be in any town USA, it's not specifically named where it is, it's not specifically timed, but it is timed so that this is occurring in America as the stuff with Sarah Michelle Gellar and the okay. first grudge is occurring over in Japan, and it's just about how those events begin to make the grudge spiral and grow and become something much bigger. And so like, it was interesting to learn, just to hear some things from him, from the director and Sam Raimi about their concept for this and how they're changing the ghosts and spirits because the ones in the Japanese and then the American remakes were based on Japanese spirits, sure. which come from kabuki theater and things like that with the white paint. I love and, that word. Yeah, kabuki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the dark eyes and the white paint. And so they're kabuki reinventing nice. them to be kind of more with American mythology. So they'll look, this is going to be a hard R grudge. I That's mean, great. hard That's awesome. R. And 
The first footage we saw was pretty pretty much hammers that home, and I'll Let's talk about that. that in a sec. Um, so yeah, this one stars Andrea Riceboro from uh, that uh, Black Mirror Crocodile episode and from uh, the Tom Cruise movie Oblivion. And um, it also stars, uh, oh, I forget her name, but the, one of the stars of Glow. And Lynn Shay, the lady from Something About Mary and the Lynn Insidious Shea series. Is like the queen of horror movies. Yeah, I know. She, she does every horror movie. If she's not in it, uh, don't watch it. Yeah, Betty Gilpin's in it. Um, yeah, so Betty Gilpin, Andrea Riceborough, Lynn Shay, they were the ones who came to the panel, but it also stars William Sadler from Die Hard 2, John Cho, who got a big shout out because he has a nice shirtless shower scene. <laughs> they do the shower scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar and the, and the hand coming out of the hair. They do that again, but this time it's John Cho, and the ladies were loving John Cho. Um, Jackie Weaver, the lady from like uh, Animal Kingdom and stuff, and some other people. Those are the main stars. So anyway, so the first footage, I'll tell you what we saw. It was basically the first trailer was, they did it It Chapter 2 style, so it was a scene. And Andrea Riceboro is a detective, and she's investigating when these things start to happen. Of course, it's, you know, American cops are skeptical, and they're like, yeah, whatever. It comes on her desk, and she just starts investigating, and it, of course, leads to a bigger supernatural thing. So she arrives at Lynn Shea's apartment, and Lynn Shea plays a woman named Faith, who ha is a woman suffering from dementia and the onset of Alzheimer's, um, who gets possessed by the grudge, and ends up doing something pretty horrible to her husband, who she like, loves very much and has a very close relationship with. And It's all very R-rated. Oh my god, oh. yeah. So the first clip we see is like the detective coming in and talking to Lin Shay, who has her back to her at the kitchen, and is just standing there like making food, and then or just doing something weird, and then you know the cop says, you know, can you turn around? We got a call, like is there something wrong? Where's your husband? Like, we, we heard something might have happened. And it turns around, and Lynn Shay's, like, in this makeup, like, the grudge, like, the black oil stuff, like, just coming out of her face everywhere. And, like, she's trying to talk to him. She's like, will you feed me? He always used to feed me. Like, and the lady's like, what is happening? And, like, Lynn Shay comes up to her and starts touching her, and her hand's all black, and several of her fingers are missing Jesus. and stuff. And it's so gross. And the oh, cop starts, like, freaking out, and she, like, runs back, stumbles into this room, and, like, falls over this chair and, like, looks up. And there's, like, the husband just, like, rotting away and covered in maggots, like, seated oh. in this chair. Like, it is pretty gruesome. Oh. So then it goes into the whole, like, big montage of footage of things. And you see, and there are some pretty brutal scenes. There's a dude, with, like, on a hospital bed with his eyes gouged out. Somebody oh. falling down, a, like, in the middle of a stairwell and just, like, their head cracking off ledges on the way down. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, there's some... Yeah, it's pretty gruesome, and like, yeah, so that whole flash footage, and then, and then iconic stuff, like the spirit, the Juon spirit rising out of water and making the throat creaking sound, and, and now that it's R, like, yeah, it ain't just white face yeah. paint, it's a horrific looking right. ghost spirit, and like, yeah, the John Cho shower scene was the last thing they ended on, him in the shower, he hears the croaking sound, he like looks out, and there's nothing, and he goes back, and then there's like the hand in the back of his hair, like grabbing his head. Like, yeah, and so, like, yeah, that's all back, and it sounds freaky and nasty, oh. like, yeah, and it's good. Um, oh, then oh, they went cool. through the rest of the panel, and then they come back, and they're like, you guys want to see a little more? And they're like, yeah, and we're like, yeah, 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 so that they play this clip. That's only about a minute long, and it, it was just the earlier scene of these, the, the elderly couple, like, Lynn Shay and her husband have a caretaker or something, that's who Jackie Weaver plays. Sure. And so she comes downstairs, and she's kind of, I guess, like, leaving, or she's a relative, I don't know exactly, we don't know the context, but... She knows them, and she's like, hey, you know, I'm taking off. I just wanted to thank you. And she sees, like, Lin Shay at the counter again in that same pose we saw earlier. Like, she's cooking something, and we just hear her, like, chopping something. And she walks up, and she's like, you know, I haven't heard. Like, where's, you know, her husband? She mentioned him by name. Like, where is he? You know, I just wanted to tell him thank you. And she looks down, and he's just on the floor with, like, a fork jabbed into his face, dead. Oh. 
And she's like, oh my God. And she starts screaming. And Lin Shay turns around and she's just like covered in blood. And she's just sitting there. And they full on show you like full gruesome thing of her just sitting there with a knife chopping off her fingers one by one on this cutting board. Blood and gore like everywhere. I, I couldn't even look. I just looked down because I was like, I can't. Dude, like, God, yeah. Lin Shay, why? And then she's like, and then she says something so creepy like, Oh, he was gonna kill me. And then she's just sitting there with like blood dripping out of her like severed oh, fingers. Oh, sweetie, he and wasn't. Jack, yeah, and then Jackie wasn't Weaver. And then she just starts making these choking throat guttural sounds like the croak and then like Lynn Jackie Weaver just takes off running oh, and that was the Richard end. Richard eating a pocky chip. Yeah, and it was just like, and then the lights came out and everybody was just like, oh, oh like, and they were just laughing at it. Yeah. You should have said no to the extra footage. Yeah, and so I did interviews with them and like, yeah, the director had interesting things to say. Like, yeah, this is going to be, and it's going to be a story like, Sam Raimi teased a lot and he got asked some interesting questions about Walking Dead and Spider-Man and stuff. Um, uh, he didn't really answer any of the Spider-Man stuff, but he did say, you know, there's more Walking Dead coming and stuff like that. But he also said that this new grudge will be kind of a puzzle story. Like, the, the different storylines, you, he said you specifically have to pay attention because by the end you'll need to understand the full story of what happened. You'll need to pay attention to each story and how they, the, all the like little Easter eggs of how they connect. So that could be a little fun puzzle. Sounds so. like you're in. Yeah, I'm in. I love the grudge. I love the original Japanese one. I even like the first remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar I thought right. was pretty good right. for, as far as J-horror went so I'm looking into a hard R one that kind of takes the concept yeah. and uh, makes it a lot there bigger so uh, that was my day yeah here's where we got Brandon Davis just oh, imagine that photo? without any fingers there they just Ooh, they kept it in here but uh, in the real knife. scene yeah she doesn't have those fingers anymore that's brutal um, okay. Yeah, so that was the grudge. Brent Davis, you have a lot more to tell, so tell us what you did. I don't know day. if I can top that. That was intense. Um, what did I do today? I started the day with our guy Nick Floyd. We went down to the floor to just shoot some cosplay stuff, and that was fun. I saw a really impressive Dr. Octopus. Uh, saw some good time travel suits. Saw some Batman nightmare stuff. Uh, you know, all kinds of cosplay. Metal Luke Skywalker. Uh, who I wasn't sure if he liked The Last Jedi or not. Um, he wasn't really sure either, I don't think. Um, and then uh, the real work began. Uh, what was the first thing I did today? I went to... Uh, the, I didn't get to go to the panel for The Kingsman and Free Guy, uh, but I did do I did interviews, um, which I heard from both of those panels that they were a lot of fun. The Kingsman... There's a trailer for that online. Um, I don't know if they released something new online today after the panel, but from what they showed, uh, from what I heard about what they showed, it just looks like a lot of fun. If you're not familiar with the Kingsman, it's going back to 1917. Spoiler alert, the highlights of my day both have to do with World War I. Yeah. Um, the Kingsman goes back to, and it's an origin story for Kingsman, the, the tailored group of spies that we've seen in two Matthew Vaughn films. Matthew Vaughn directs it. Uh, Ray Fiennes, who is Lord Voldemort, um, is kind of the guy who founds it with his son, played by Harris Dickinson, who's named Conrad. Um, Fiennes is the Duke of Oxford. I don't really know enough about it to give you a better plot synopsis than that. Jaimon Hounsou is in the movie, and he likes to fight with swords. All looks cool. Um, I asked Voldemort um, if he would ever, what he thinks of more Harry Potter stuff happening because I watched them for the first time recently, and I thought those movies were really good. If uh, you haven't watched them, you should, by the way. It's a pretty good, pretty well-kept secret, that franchise, apparently. <laughs> I, and worth noting, I watched them, like, a month ago, completely spoiler-free. I didn't know a thing about how those movies ended. 
I tweeted after the sixth one, ah, Snape killed Dumbledore. What a snake. I hate him. Oh, we all had were, a good laugh about that. We all had a good laugh about to that. Me, and they were like, oh, Snape's the best. Why would you say that? And I'm like, oh, he must do something. He must get some kind of redemption. And boy, Snape was the best. Uh, but uh, it was interesting. Ray Fiennes was just like, uh, yeah, I'm very protective of Voldemort. I don't want anyone else playing that part, basically, is what he said. I'm paraphrasing. You'll see the full interview on comicbook.com. Um, and then I interviewed the cast of Free Guy, which looks awesome. It's, and if you're not familiar with this, I suggest familiarizing yourself with it. It is who directed this? Uh, it's directed by Sean Le uh, Levy of Stranger Things. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Taika Waititi, uh, Lil Rel Howery. It's got an awesome cast, um, and it's about a character who is a non-playable character in a video game world who starts to figure out that he is just a non-playable character in a video game world. He's essentially an extra in Grand Theft Auto. He's a bank teller. Who, who part of the game is his bank gets robbed every day. So he's stuck in that. Like, he can't do anything else because that's his life. And so uh, Ryan Reynolds is that character. Uh, it just sounds hilarious. Um, it's like almost like a Matrix, but comedy like within a video game. It's funny. Um, and that sounds really fun. I, I, can't, that, I, I wish I could have seen that panel because that cast was in such a good mood. And all the feedback I heard from that panel was really positive. And that's always a good sign because unless it goes the Scott Pilgrim route like you mentioned earlier, but it just seems like... Yeah, also, one of the best panels ever, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, curated, like, uh, yeah. hosted by Edgar Wright, who just brought all these major stars out yep. for a second and then sent them away. Dude, I've age. gone to panels where I've been like, wow, that looks awesome, and then it doesn't. Like, I, I mean, I've been at Terminator Dark Fate panels, and I feel like I'm the only person excited for that movie. No, that latest trailer was all right. People are coming around. But I hope so. I hope it's as good, because the CinemaCon panel, I was like, this movie's gonna rock! And then people were like, what the... What are you talking about? Um... But, uh, yeah, so that's cool. Sean Levy told us, I asked him if Stranger Things is leaving Hawkins, and he was like, well, we said we were, so it would be lame if we didn't, right? I was like, is that a confirmation? Can you please say that's confirmed? Um, but, yeah, that was cool. And then I went from there straight over. I mean, Nick and I ran, because Nick was, and Nick was carrying all the camera stuff. Bless his heart. Uh, which I don't mean that in the southern way. I mean yeah, like not the F.U. Actually, southern way. Yeah, like, like, actual bless your heart. I appreciate yeah. the guy. Uh, we came, we ran all the way back up a few blocks from the Javits and we went to the AMC Theater right there for a panel hosted by my friend Eric Davis uh, for 1917. Sam Mendes, who directed Skyfall, was on there. Uh, Roger Deakin, who's just an amazing cinematographer, was on there. And then they had the cast members, the writers. Um, and if you're not familiar with 1917, also a World War One movie, set in 1917, uh, and it is two hours, about, it's probably two and a half hours long. Somebody said 150 minutes when I was interviewing them, but I feel like that's just a ballpark. We shouldn't lock that in as runtime confirmed. Don't do that. Uh, it's all one shot. The whole movie takes place in one continuous shot, like Birdman. But it's a war movie. Like, they're going from locations and battlefields, and there's action sequences and explosions and trenches and fights, and they go into, like, underground bunkers to learn their mission, and, all, and it goes from day to night, all in one shot. So, it sounds like an absolute nightmare of a film to make. Uh, and they told me there was, there was um, single takes of the movie where the camera wouldn't cut that took up to eight and a half minutes. And they got up to eight minutes on some of those. And some little thing would happen where the camera would flinch the wrong way or somebody would say their line wrong or a light would fall or something. They'd have to redo the whole thing from the top. They, like, you have to start the whole thing. And it took them about four months to shoot this thing. I mean, I don't know. Well, even if the story of this movie sucks, which it doesn't look like it's going to, it's about two soldiers, British soldiers, 
who have to go run across to some other place to warn them not to attack somewhere in the morning or 1,600 people are going to die. One of them is one of these soldiers' brother. Even if the story of it sucks, though, I just feel like sitting in a theater watching this war movie for two and a half hours where it feels like you're in it because there is no cut. It was just going to be impressive It in was itself. one of the most... I, I said this on the podcast when the trailer hit, that that was like one of the most physically affecting trailers I've ever seen. Like, it was really super intense and like certain claustrophobic points and I'm not like a high claustrophobic person but like some stuff in the trenches and the stuff yeah. going off I was just like in the dark I was they just They were saying like, they had to make a special camera so they could move it through the trenches and get th they had one scene they showed us a behind the scenes featurette I was really disappointed that they didn't show footage because the whole panel was talking to us about it's one shot alright well then show us 15 minutes like let us see how this one shot thing works they didn't do that they just showed us a featurette uh, and I don't know if the featurette's available online I don't think it is but they had like a, uh, I guess it was shot from like a helicopter or a crane or something, and it showed them shooting a scene, which is in the trailer that released today, where the main guy, uh, the great, um, what's his name? Um, I, don't, I can't remember his name. Uh, but he's running out of a trench with an explosion behind him, and only soldiers behind him. And they showed that, and it's shot very in front of him on the back of a pickup truck that's driving in front of him. And the trip. But anyway, they explained how the camera goes from the truck to the person to the crane to all this stuff. But they showed like a behind-the-scenes equivalent on that shot. They had 500 extras, like running across the battlefield with explosions, and I mean, it was wild. So just on that alone, I'm so, I'm gonna. There's no question. I'm going to watch this movie. Yeah, my first thing when I saw the trailer was, will this be the movie to out Dunkirk Dunkirk? And I was like, because this is it, pretty yeah, intense. Very Dunkirk vibes, but even more impressive and, from a yeah, legit... If you know anything like, about World War One, it is one of the like worst wars of all time because of where technology was at the time. Dying in that war would have sucked. Like, technology was at this point where... Suffer. We weren't advanced enough to be pulling soldiers out of the battlefield where things were more yep. automated. But it was advanced enough for mass killing with chemical warfare, yep, yep. bigger bombs, better machine guns, and, and like high caliber machine guns. And then like the medical like technology wasn't there. No, a lot of the so. medical technology got developed for, for, for trauma was developed in World War II. Yeah. So like, yeah, people died horribly from but, mustard uh, gas, yeah. I mean, disease I, in the trench, well, bombs ripped apart by machine guns. It's horrific. It also stars though, Benedict Cumberbatch and Colin Firth. And it's got, yeah. it's got an amazing cast. Yeah. Uh, it's but got it the whole cool. Royal Academy in there. Yeah, I'll tell you. It was cool to talk to them. And then after that... Uh, um, just for reference, just, it sounds a lot like a more action-packed version of the movie Silent House, which was one of the movies that got Elizabeth Olsen on the map. Um, it's a horror movie that's all... I mean, it's not actually one take, but it's presented as one continuous sure, yeah. take. And it's about a girl who goes back to a home um, that she used to go to, a lake home as a child, and then begins to have really weird, horrible, supernatural things happen. And yeah. there's a big twist in that movie, but it is... I liked it when I saw it, but it is hard to watch again because, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But that plays with a lot of tricks of horror. Like, right, it has right, to start, right. stop, have these little dialogue scenes. This, I'm looking forward to I much more. I can't wait. And, uh, after that, all I did was we went and uh, you should watch this on our on our homepage and then our social accounts. We recorded the second printing, which was just all the news. And we used the Birds of Prey costumes, which are on the show floor, as our setup. And we have some photos that will be in there. It looks cool. And Birds of Prey, we talked about that trailer. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Joker's in that movie. Can I, can I say that? I said it. <laughs> okay. Jared Leto's not. There you go. You heard it first. Maybe, so, if it makes the cut. Moving right along. Here we go. Uh, that's day one of NYCC, but we got more coming up that we'll be talking about once we get done and we wrap uh, here. We'll have to recap with you guys next week. 
So here's what we got coming as a preview. Tomorrow, Friday, uh, Matt is now seeing M. Night Shyamalan's new uh, Apple TV show, Servant, which is looking curiouser and curiouser and more ominous, so that's gonna be cool. Um, we'll be talking to the team from Harley Quinn. Producer Jim Viscardi saw the uh, Harley Quinn Disney Universe cartoon and he said, it is official bonkers. Like, it is a hard R adult cartoon featuring Harley Quinn and it really leans into that. So he told me I'd like it, which I always feel is an endorsement of something being demented, but I'll take it. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, we will be talking, seeing more from uh, my Hero Academia, one of the biggest anime that we uh, kind of cover, is going to be showing stuff from the upcoming uh, season four. The Runaways new season, we'll be seeing stuff from season three and learning more about that. We, and the big question mark in all this tomorrow that you're going to want to pay attention to is we're going to get some insight finally into HBO's Watchmen, what's going on with that, some more details, and so uh, that panel and maybe... Hopefully get to see either a whole episode or some of an episode so we can really sink our teeth into what's all that's all about. Pee Wee Herman himself, Paul Rubens, is also on site. And that's the big thing for me. There you go. Um, and so that's the big stuff coming up on Friday. And then Saturday, we have the Walking Dead universe. Angel. We have Power Rangers. Lost in Space is coming back to Netflix. We have a bunch of stuff coming from Star Trek. The Return of Castle Rock to Hulu. And... Oh, buddy, one thing I'm really excited for, our first look at Marvel's Dawn of X, X-Men relaunch. We'll be getting some more about that after you've been hearing the podcast when we've covered House of X and Powers of Ten. It's now time to get into this new, brand new world of the X-Men, and I'm excited. You know, it's Comic-Con, Tom McFarlane's got to be here because Spawn's doing something all the time, and so we'll be talking about Spawn again. And Castlevania. Uh, Ari Sh our Adi Shankar's, uh, our friend Adi Shankar's, uh, kind of acclaimed anime series on Netflix is coming back again, and, uh, we're looking more forward to more stuff from that, so, uh, we'll be checking in with, uh, Castlevania as well. So, as you can see, I mean, this is gonna be a, a New York Comic Con. We might not have, like, headlining Marvel and DC stuff in, like, other years, but, uh, we got a nice smattering of things. We got a bunch of sci- like, some good sci-fi, some good anime, some good horror, some good Walking Dead, some good Marvel events, and a few DC things as well, so nice little mix in this one. So we'll have all of that breaking down. We'll break all of that down in full these uh, last two days on our next episode. But uh, we just wanted to say um, it's been good talking with you guys here from New York Comic Con. We'll be out pounding the pavement for you and uh, digging in and getting you good stuff as we always are. So uh, thank you for taking the time to listen. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. If you are new to the show and are just tuning in because this is some New York Comic Con type deal, uh, we post new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com where you can subscribe to an RSS feed where you can get regular updates about new shows or you can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We are on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Google Playlists. And you can tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast and it will start playing for you. If you want to continue the discussion about anything we talked about on the show, you can always find us at the hashtag ComicBookNation or you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. And you can find me at Brandon Davis BD. And you can find Matt Aguilar at Matt Aguilar CB. That'll do it for this episode. If you like the show, be sure to go on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We are coming up fast. I know we haven't done any reading reviews lately. We've been doing a bunch of stuff with, you know, trying out new guest hosts and stuff and being at New York Comic Con. So we've been busy. But when we get back, 
It's time to give out some more t-shirts, and if we read your five-star review from iTunes on the show, you get a free Comic Book Nation t-shirt, and they are pretty cool. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. I want to thank you one more time for tuning in. This has been Comic Book Nation, and uh, we are out because this Comic-Con journey is far from over. So we'll see you when we're back in the studio. Peace.